Hey, yo. Welcome to 43.6, the sports podcast that you have always wanted. I'm Dustin Perry. I'm joined by James Key and Matt Key, and we have a whole lot to go over today. We're going to start with Mike Bossy. We're going to talk about the NHL statement on Kyle Beach, the Maple Leafs, and uh, James has something to say about Mitch Marner. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, maybe we'll talk about Austin Matthews and the situation going on there with his quote-unquote minor injuries. The Raptors are getting absolutely destroyed by the 76ers, and there's a bit of chirping going on between Nurse and Embiid. Charlie Montoyo has been saying something that all of us have been thinking, and we're very proud of him for doing so. And we can't forget about Clayton Kershaw getting pulled in the seventh inning. All that and a whole lot more today on episode one of 43.6. James, Matt. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, we're doing good. You know, surviving in this crazy world. <laughs> surviving in the crazy Toronto sports environment, man. Like, yeah. it's it's insane right now to be a Toronto sports fan, I think. Uh, exciting, but I think also, like, the definition of an emotional roller coaster. It's, uh, it's a weird time. I don't think, like, since I've been, since I've been a sports fan, and I'm like... I don't. Need, I can't even say that the 2019 Raptors championship run was like across all of the the pillars of Toronto sports has it ever been this interesting? I don't think, and I think that's gives us a lot to talk about. Yeah, for sure. I think like too. It's you know, and I was actually saying this to my wife the other day. It's like I remember when the Jays were like a 65, 70 win team. The Leafs were futile trying to, like, be successful. And the Raptors were, you know, the team that they were just like, yeah, you'll be decent, but you never really go anywhere. To now, it's like you have the Raptors coming off championship. Not very long ago, the Jays looked poised to be one of the absolute wrecking balls of the MLB. And the Leafs are, you know, firmly in second in the Atlantic and, you know, a top five team in the league right now. So, you know, it's kind of a weird shift and, you know, I don't know how to handle this, to be honest. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's a really good point. I don't know in the, I, I come to think of it, I don't think there ever was in the history of the world where there was a time where all three of the major teams were good. Yeah. Be, because if you think about it, obviously the Raptors weren't a team until what, 95 or 96, or whatever it was. And obviously the Jays were a 92, 93 World Series. So the Jays were on their downturn when the Raptors came into existence. And then the Raptors weren't really good until the early 2000s. And even then, they were just a first-round exit kind of team. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the Maple Leafs are the Maple Leafs, and we know how long it's been since they won anything meaningful. So for them, for all three of these teams, Raptors in the playoffs, eh, maybe they are, they aren't going to go very far, but they're a playoff team. The Maple Leafs are second place or third place or whatever in the Eastern Conference. And then the Blue Jays, according to Major League Baseball power rankings, are number two behind the Dodgers. So... It's, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how this develops. It, I think this is the first time in human history that all three of these teams have been competitive teams all at the same time, and it's, it's really exciting to watch. Uh, someone who was also really exciting to watch was Mike Bossy, and I think we need to at least acknowledge this since uh, Mike Bossy unfortunately passed away at the age of 65 uh, earlier this week. And... I'll pass this one off to James and Matt because you guys are more of the hockey guys than I am. I'm more of the baseball guy and the pro wrestling guy, even though we don't talk about pro wrestling. <laughs> oh, we um, will. <laughs> oh, we will. It'll, it'll come. 
So, uh, Matt, you and I were talking about some of his, before we started recording, we were talking about some of Mike Bossy's statistics and some of the stuff that he did at a ridiculous pace. Why don't you talk talk about some of that? Yeah, and it's just, it's something that, like, I mean, and me, like like you had said, I'm a massive hockey fan and kind of borderline, obs- you know, obsessive. Um, but, like, it's one of those things where you get in conversations with people and you start talking about, you know, you have your Bobby Orr's, you have your Wayne Gretzky, your Yagers, you have, you know, now Ovechkin, McDavid, Crosby. Like, you have all these guys that are constantly brought up. And for a guy who was as prolific as he was and as lethal as he was, like, Mike Bossy is, was, isn't, like, brought up as often in that conversation, and he really should be. Like, he's one of those guys where, like, statistically, and I would have to bring up the actual stats, but, like, statistically, he scored at a pace that very rarely anybody else did. And he did it in such a short period of time. Yeah, I have some of them pulled up, and it was, it's fascinating. When you, you talk about guys like Gretzky, and they're synonymous with greatness in the NHL, uh, most 50-goal seasons, nine of them for Bossy. First nine, too. He had, First nine. His yeah, first right? nine seasons were 50-goal yeah. seasons. Most so most 50-goal seasons, nine of them, tied with Wayne Gretzky. Most 60-goal seasons, he had five of them tied with Wayne Gretzky. And, you know, the conversation always is about Gretzky. And obviously Gretzky did so many other things. And he was yeah. uh, he transcended the game of hockey. And that's why I think people always consider Gretzky as the best. It, it kind of... It, it's, it's, it reminds me of the Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair thing, where everyone says Hulk Hogan's the greatest star of all time. Ric Flair was probably better, but Hogan transcended wrestling and people knew who Hulk Hogan was. I think that's the difference here with Wayne Gretzky, where he transcended the game of hockey. Everyone knows the name Wayne Gretzky, whether you're a hockey fan or not. And I think maybe that's where the difference is. Yeah, well, I mean, that's. Sure. I think that's part of it. I think the other part is, is you know, unfor- the career longevity. Unfortunately, you know, his career was was only 10 years. Um, and I think, you know, those Islanders teams, I mean, they won cups, uh, but I don't think they were considered the same, you know, dynasty or pedigree that the Oilers team was. And I think that he, he probably doesn't get the same spotlight that a couple of the players on that team do. And I mean, you even look at a guy like Messier who moved on from that Oilers team to win a cup with the Rangers only helps, uh, extend his kind of uh, story and legend in, in hockey, right? So, I mean, I was having this conversation with some people about Bossy, and I think the other thing too is uh, he was a really, really fucking good goal scorer. Um, That's and I an think, understatement. <laughs> but but like I think when you think of a player like that, um, you know, you you look at there's been a lot of other. Like I think there's there's players in that realm of Mike Bossy that probably don't get talked about enough, um, so it's not like he's alone in that conversation. I think is what I'm saying. I think, you know, you look at a guy like Brett Hall who scored at a ridiculous pace, uh, a Tamu Solani scored, Denny Tamu Solani scored 72 goals in his rookie season, and these guys don't get talked about uh, in the same conversations for whatever reason. Um, but I actually will interject there for a second. I think I know why. I think if Bossy, and this is like such like a Homer thing to say, I think if Bossy plays on a Canadian team and is as successful, he's held up in way higher regard. I think Gretzky also benefited from playing in Edmonton and being like 
cops in Canada, you know, creating that Oilers dynasty and shit like that. I mean, like you that. could say that, but Lemieux played in Pittsburgh. So, I don't I don't know. But he had Gretzky as a foil. Like, it had the Lemieux-Gretzky kind of, like, back and forth, similar to, like, Sid and Ovi and now Matthews McDavid. Like, there's always, like, a guy to play off of, right? So, I think that was fueled by that. Um, And I just think, like, I also think, too, just, like, cool stats for Bossy, like, scoring back-to-back cup winning goals in 82 and 83. Like, that's something so cool. And he's, like, one of, what, the only guy or, like, one of the only guys to ever do it. Like, that's awesome. That's pretty. That's a pretty actually a really cool stat. And I mean, when we watched, I think, I think it was Hockey Night in Canada this week. They had Brian Trottier on to to give his memories of Mike Bossy and how he he shared stories about him spending the last couple of days uh, before Bossy passed uh, with him, uh, sharing memories and and to hear a guy like Brian Trottier talk about the kind of teammate and player that Bossy was and. You know, often people thought that Trottier was the one who fed Bossy and and things like that. He said, you know, he was an incredibly smart hockey player and one that he he also understood who the shot was supposed to go to. Like Brian said that Mike passed to him as much as Brian passed to Mike, which I think is a testament. You know, when you think about a guy who scores that many goals, you know, if you still know, like the one thing in hockey playing it so many years i think is if you know the play and you can make the play then man that's that's something special because a lot of guys kind of get tunnel vision and if you can if you can kind of step beyond that even with the skill set that guys like bossy have and i think you're starting to see not i mean i'm not comparing the two but you see a guy like matthews this year i think has taken a step in that direction of the player I know we're going to talk to him about it later, even Mitch Marner. You know, if you know what the play is and you can make the play, man, then you you got something. And uh, he definitely did. Well, like, speaking of, like, you saying, like, he passed to Trache as much as Trache passed to him, like, some of the point totals that Boss he had, like, one, one year, 126, 119, 147, he had in 81, 82. Like, 118, yeah, 118, 117. You don't get there without assists. No, exactly. And like some of those years, like in 81, 82, 64 goals, 83 assists, right? And 80 games played. And so like the guy was, you know, almost like a two points per game player. And how many guys in the history of the NHL are, you know, almost two points per game players? It's like that's a, that's hard to do. And arguably the most most ruthless era of hockey, yeah. right? Where like the hooking, the holding and like, the griminess that went on like how how many tricks did uncle wayne teach us that he pulled from the 80s era of hockey right like that shit was gritty yeah right so i think that's just also a testament to who like him as a player as well right and yeah like it's just it's one of those things where it's you know as much as there are so many great players i think that dude deserves to be like on the pantheon of like greatest of all time for sure yeah, when we're talking about some of the greatest goal scorers, uh, one of the current greatest goal scorers in the NHL is Austin Matthews. And it, there's an interesting situation going on with the Maple Leafs right now where Austin Matthews is dealing with lingering issues, I think is the words that they're throwing about. 
And I mean, rightfully so. Like the guy, if the guy just needs some, a bit of rest, and this is a good way to do it because the Maple Leafs are comfortably in second place in the Eastern Conference. I don't, I don't see anyone catching them. Like Tampa's going to go out, have to go on quite a run, and I think Boston is too far out at this point. And they're probably not catching Florida. I don't think it's mathematically possible. It might be mathematically possible, but it's unlikely that they end up catching Florida. They'd have to run the table. I think Florida would have to not run the table. Yeah. I think Florida would have to go like 30% win for the rest of the season. The Leafs would have to go perfect. So it's a mathematical improbability that the Maple Leafs are going to increase their position in the standings or decrease their position in the standings. They are kind of are where they are. So the question is, if you're the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're looking at a guy like Austin Matthews who you need in the playoffs, but at the same time he has 58 goals on the season, and boy would it be nice to have a 60-goal season, and boy would it be nice for him to win the Richard. And if you look at it, Drysaddle is only four goals behind him. Drysaddle is currently, I mean, at the time of recording, Drysaddle is at 54 goals and Matthews at 58 how do you feel about this? Do you want to see Matthews back in there, or are you okay with just sitting him until the playoffs begin? I feel like this is the same conversation that we'll probably have later with Clayton Kershaw, right? Like you, I don't. I mean, individual uh, goals. I, don't know. I think it's a different situation. <laughs> it's a well, different. no, I think it's like I think Kershaw's second start of the season. Yeah, yeah, but I think there's there's something to be said about the difference between individual goals and and the team mentality and i mean you know there's some footage of matthews on the ice i mean he doesn't look he's skating way more liberally than than the others that are, are currently out cash muzzin and uh and sandine so i don't know i think you know you said dry settles to 54 goals he's had two hat tricks in the last 10 games so it's not inconceivable that in less than a week dry could catch up um, you know, when was the last time the Leafs had a Hart Trophy candidate, let alone a Hart Trophy winner? Or maybe I said that backwards. You know, so there's that to think about too, right? So, I mean, look, I think we all know after the the last couple of years, like the the general consensus of of sentiment within quote unquote Leafs Nation is, you know, just. Don't I don't want to hear about it. They want to they want to see the results in the playoffs, and maybe that's you know the way Keith is approaching it. I mean, I think he was quoted as saying, "We have the schedule on our side, we have the standings on our side um, to do this." And I think uh, Maddie, I don't know if it was you that was talking about it earlier. Is it, load management is is like prohibited in the NHL? Like that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Like. It's it's like because it's like with the CBA, the salary cap and how it works. And like, obviously, we could dig deep into the CBA one day. I don't think we would want to. But like, I mean, there's you can't just sit a guy for load management. Right. So you see a lot of talk, you know, with guys like, oh, are they really hurt? A la Kucherov a few couple years ago, you know, was he really hurt or was it really like a way to circumvent the cap? And then all of a sudden came one of the playoffs. He's ready to go. Right. But so, they couldn't just they couldn't just healthy scratch him and just like a maintenance day is that not or is it just like frowned upon i think it's a little bit of both i think there's there is some rules and like again i would have to look this up and kind of dig deep and maybe we can you know for sure solidify that next week but i also think in hockey culture it's one of those things where it's like you don't do it like if you're if you can breathe you get out on the ice 
right? Yeah, so, stars don't sit very often. Like, no. if you think in, like, the history of hockey, even up, like, in the lead-up to the playoffs, I don't remember a lot of times where the guy's sad, you know? I don't... It happens I don't a lot. either. It happens a lot in basketball, and it happens a lot in uh, football. Uh, you know, when guys are ahead of the playoffs, sometimes you get basically the practice squad. But, yeah, yeah I don't remember seeing it a lot in hockey. And I, I'm not... I mean... Let's be honest. This city is famous for the term we we invented load management. Uh, you know that term Kawhi. started here with Kawhi. So I don't I don't know that I disagree with it, like in the grand scope of things. But the hockey guy in me doesn't. I don't know. I kind of feel uncomfortable about it. Like I kind of think you should be out there. But you know, I, there's now. Do you know there's now a fine in the NBA for load management? Oh really? So the Clippers must have paid through the nose. If the so if you are load managing a player during a nationally televised game, it is a hundred thousand dollar fine. Holy team. shit! Wow, shit! So like the Thursday night TNT game, you sit a guy, it's a hundred thousand dollar fine. And and based on my uh, thirty seconds of research that I've just done, I don't see a rule in the NHL saying that you can't. Now I don't know if there is or there isn't one. I haven't dug deep enough into that, but. Based on what the Raptors did with Kawhi Leonard in 2019, yeah, this is essentially the Kawhi Leonard rule that you will be fined if you're holding out players on a game that's very important to the NBA. Now, like, yeah, like, like one of those get... like national games where it's like all around, not like a regional thing. Yes, and not okay. to sound egotistical as a Toronto sports fan, but every Maple Leafs game, I I would like to think, is a very important game for the NHL. Oh, at yeah. least in terms of how much money that has been spent on the Leafs television rights and the billions of dollars that has been shelled out for that. Now, obviously, there are like how do you Tuesday night that? games against the Islanders that no one cares about, it, relatively speaking. But I think if there, it's like it's on hometown hockey on Saturday, Sunday night or it's hockey night in Canada or it's Wednesday night hockey, I think maybe that's the games that would fit under this umbrella of nationally televised games. You, all your regional games that happen on a Tuesday or Thursday night, maybe those are the ones that you can effectively use load management. Obviously, apples and oranges here. We're talking about what the NHL can do, what the NBA is currently finding teams for doing. But how do you prove but that? But it's something like, that is comparable, at least. What if Kawhi's just like, my knee hurts today? Feels better tomorrow. Well, What if it's James sure, Harden? It's like, I, don't just, I just don't want to play here, so I'm just gonna get fat and not play but like you said the raptors kind of coined that term where they literally said he is sitting out for load management like those are the words they use yeah that's and i true. think as far as i understand you can't lie about a injury report it has no. to be factual and has to be backed up by the team doctors and league approved physicians so ask joffrey lupel <laughs> yeah that's that's a good point. that's a, that's another okay. topic for another day yeah. okay but no like for the matthews thing like I'm conflicted because, like Jimmy said, it's like the hockey guy in me says, like, you should get out there and play. But I think, like, quietly, too, they maybe said, like, hit Vi's record. Let's see how you're motoring through then. Clearly, you know, the season is long and hard, and he's been on an absolute tear, like, playing like a man possessed, like, on a mission where there's, like, no bullshit, right? Like, he didn't even celebrate the 50 goal. And then, like... Yeah, he sallied on the ice for the vibe goal, for the vibe breaking goal, but like nothing on the bench, no whatever. He's just kind of like, all right, going about your business. But as a fan who wants this team to succeed, I have zero problem with it if that's the case. Because 
I think with what's been happened the past few years in the playoffs, and because he is your horse, he is the guy who will lead you to the promised land if you get there. You need him being at a hundred percent ready to go. And I think that's what it all comes down to is the performance of the team in the playoffs. And we have seen time and time again, this team has not performed in the playoffs. And we talked about this last week in the episode that didn't air. We call that episode zero. And I had mentioned that I think it's kind of stupid that you will criticize a team for something that happened 10 years ago when half the guys aren't even there anymore. I I don't think that's a fair criticism. But there has been a lot of criticism on certain players. And James, I'm looking at you. And I know you have said some horrible things about our boy, Mitch Marner. And to be fair, and I I want to get this out as well, um, I don't like really badly criticizing a player because they're humans and they don't deserve some of the stuff that we throw at them sometimes. So all I'll say is James said some things that he may want to take back now. <laughs> you know what? I I was, I felt guilty for tearing into players before. I, I was horrendous to Jake Gardner um, near the end of his tenure here. Like I was. I don't hor- feel bad about Aki Berg though. <laughs> I was horrific to the point where I was, I like deleted tweets and I'm like, this is not right. Like that's, that's how bad it was, but I grew up and <laughs> I've I also gone back and deleted some tweets about some things I've said about <laughs> other players and stuff. Right. Yeah. So I think, I mean, as we grow older, I think we understand like, you know, this is, it's one thing to be critical and constructive critical and even have fun with it and to make jokes and stuff. But I think that at some point you got to like rein it back for me, the whole Mitch Marner thing. And I still, I still, the difference is I don't, I'm not backing away from what I said. And what I said was he needs to be more engaged. He needs to be in the play more. He needs to shoot more. And if he's going to shy away from everything, he's not going to become the best Mitch Marner he can be. And what I mean by that is go back and watch the last playoffs. Everyone talks about it. I mean, obviously there was no scoring, but the amount of times that guy gave passes away to the Montreal Canadiens because he was scared of getting hit or he, he threw the puck over the glass because he was scared of, of getting hit or, or, or whatever is, is quite frankly, I think for a player of his caliber and his position on the team, I'm not even talking about his paycheck. I'm talking about the way people talk about him. I think the way he, he presents and believes in himself and as an assistant captain or alternate captain on this team, these are things you can't do. You have to be better. Um, and in the beginning of this year, I honestly, it felt like the same old Mitch Marner, like almost like a playoff hangover. I know everyone talked about that, but man, I don't, I like, I'm, I'm saying, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Like if a light switch turned on or somebody talked to him or something happened, but since the all-star break, I feel like Mitch Marner has ascended to a new level of, of, of ability and play. He's, he's in the corners. The dude is, if Mitch Marner is in the corners, playing and using his body and stuff he's he's creating space for other players because he's such a magnetic player he's drawing people into the corners which you see guys like bunting and matthews have more success because you can't let marner do his thing by himself in the corner right we all know he's got magic hands with the puck so if he's in that position he's creating space for himself and for others right he's he's in scrums defending teammates he's shooting the puck and scoring he has something like 
60 points since the all-star break or something you and we were talking yeah we were talking about two points per game players i think he's a plus two points per game since then is he not or is he he's almost at two points per game yeah i think since that time so yeah i mean i I don't know if i wanted so much as apologize as as to to thank the guy for for finding that extra gear the the key now is can he sustain that gear and possibly find one more because the playoffs are going to require that of you you're you you're think going it's as to simple it. as do you think it's as simple as him just getting Waking older up. and maturing i mean no but i mean the, the guy has been with the maple Leafs since what he was 19 years old and now as a 24 year old man it's different right like you were a teenager when he came into this team and when he came into the league and probably, and I don't remember what his physical attributes were when he was 19 years old, but I'm assuming he was probably at least 20 pounds lighter. So yeah. some of these things that he was criticized for, for not being physical enough, for not being in the corners and doing the dirty things, that probably is a lot of, with age and experience and size that he has all added to his game over the course of the past you know, five or six seasons, however long he's been with the Maple Leafs. I think the, you're right. I think a lot of, some people reference the first, was it the first playoffs? Or maybe the second where he he did score fairly well, but they failed to to mention that he was on the third line, I think, with Tyler Bozak and James Van Riemsdyk. So, you know, you're not playing against the best players, you're not playing against the best defensive matchups. So for a guy like that, that's a prime situation to be to to produce uh in the playoffs when you're not playing events against the the best competition. Kyle Dubas has said for years, well, it feels like years, that they they just still need to mature. And I think you're right. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, they're still like sub 25 years old, which if I think about myself, right, what was I doing at 25? We were just talking about going back and deleting tweets. And I bet a lot of those tweets were when we were like in our early 20s. So if you think about that from that mindset, what was I doing in my early 20s? I was probably playing Counter-Strike every night. Oh, buddy, (laughs) I I was hate tweeting Justin Bieber. And now I'm like, yo, this dude's actually pretty cool. He's catchy. Well, I don't know about cool, but maybe. (laughs) But but yeah, it's a great. I think that is lost on people sometimes. Like Mitch Marner is 23, 24 years old or whatever he is right now or 25, whatever. He's in his early 20s. And that needs to be understood when you're criticizing these very young adults. I think it's also too like we see them when they're so young that we just get so attached as well is that in our eyes they're older than they actually are in terms of you know because we've seen their hockey careers from 16 on to 24 like we've watched mitch marner for nine years like playing hockey from junior up through you know like the world juniors london knights you know to the leafs and shit so it's like it's one of those things too that i think it's like in a relationship it's just you get to a point where it's like you're fine shitting at home with your partner where before i used to take a modium when i went to my girlfriend's place (laughs) so i didn't shit because i was so self-conscious right like there's a comfort level but that comes with an expectation but and i think that's what what comes to it is i think the frustration comes where you see the potential you see what could be if it only met like one like a harder stride maybe it's just like get there like push five percent more and you'll get there and it's just like i think that's where the the fundamental frustration comes from is 
you see what they could be in these glimpses and you just want it consistently and when it matters and so far obviously they haven't shown when it matters not to say they never will but it's just history dictates and now the way they are this year marner specifically as well as you know everyone else around them you think they figure it out and you think you see that they finally snap something snapped well we'll have to wait and see how this team fares in the playoffs i I don't like criticizing them on their past performances or lack thereof we'll have to see how they do this year Uh, but speaking of playoffs this year the toronto raptors are currently down to nothing as of time of recording to the Philadelphia 76ers, and it hasn't been pretty. Um, Game one (laughs) was a really ugly one, and I think the major headline coming out of game one was losing Thad Young to a thumb injury, then losing Scotty Barnes to what appears to be an ankle injury of some sort. I don't know exactly the extent of the injury, but the man's walking around with a walking boot right now, so it, it doesn't look ideal in terms of him returning at any point this series. And of and also Gary Trent dealing with some sort of illness that they're not specific about. So when you take out two of their top five players and a great bench piece in Thad, this is going to be it was already going to be a difficult playoff matchup for them, but it's gotten a whole lot worse real quick. And during all this, we've seen a lot of talk between Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid. And I think it was after game one where Nick Nurse kind of threw his hands up and said, like, look, if you guys aren't going to call these very clear fouls that Embiid is doing and he is just elbowing dudes in the face and no one's calling it, the Raptors are screwed. Like, they are not going to win this series. And it's interesting to hear his head coach say that. I know he's trying to call out the officials and try to get The game within the game, right? Yeah, like, he's trying to... Get the next call. He's trying to, yeah... He's trying to swing things back in his favor. So I understand why he's doing it. I'm not criticizing Nick Nurse and saying it. It's just something you don't hear very often. My question to you guys is, A, I guess two-part question. One, do you see the Raptors coming back in this series? And two, <laughs> do you think Nick Nurse is going to be the guy who finally gets under the skin of Embiid? Uh, <laughs> getting back into the series, no. I think getting under the skin of Embiid, I think yes. Um now i like going back to kind of what we were talking about off the top about you know the three teams being successful all at once i think like with the raptors the context is is we didn't expect them to be here this quick i don't think we expected them to be a top four or five team in the eastern conference you know two years after you know the championship or like two years after the year after the championship so essentially three years since then and like you know the revelation that Scotty Barnes has been, um, and I think like Gary Trent Jr. and Fred VanVleet's ascension to being a true starting point guard, and you know the future is very bright for this team. But I don't think we expected them to be here. I think we saw them fighting for a spot in the play-in, but to be here, no. Uh, so I think that in of itself shows like a level of success. Um, I just think Embiid's playing out of his mind this year. I think that dude, oh, he's a top it, it, he's a, he's a top three player in the NBA. Oh, absolutely, and I think he probably will win the MVP. I don't see who else would. Um, and in saying that, the NBA is very much of a league of what have like where are your wins in terms of titles, and 
you know, MB can act this way kind of all he wants, but at the end of the day, this dude still hasn't won shit. And the last memory Toronto fans have of him is walking off the court crying because Kawhi absolutely ripped out his heart, ate it for dinner, and then called his mom that night and said, thank you for making your son so I could rip out his heart and eat it, <laughs> right? So, like, I think that comes with it. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Philly's well on their way to, you know, an NBA final. Um, but, yeah, I don't see the Raps really getting back into this one. And the the take Shaq had a couple weeks ago or a week ago about the Raptors getting swept doesn't look too far-fetched right now. And it's kind of sad, especially missing two starters. I just don't see it, to be honest. And then, yeah, I think Nurse is very much getting under the skin of Embiid. But that could that could change the narrative of the whole series, right? So, because I mean, if you look at if you look at where the Raptors are, are failing against the Seventy Sixers, it's it's free throws. I mean, you remove the free throws from the game, and I know that's kind of a a fallacy. You can't just fucking pick and choose what you want to do. But if you remove them, I think something like Raptors won eighty seven eighty six. So, I mean, even if the free throws were even or at least called evenly, uh, they they seem to have more of a fighting chance. Looking at Joel Embiid, uh, I shared a, a GIF on Twitter, or GIF, if if you're wrong. Um, I just the, think peanut butter when you say GIF. <laughs> the, it's 100% uh, GIF. There's a, uh, a clip of Harden running into, I think it's Siakam and Achua, and Embiid pushes Harden into the two of them, Harden falls down like he got hit by a truck and Embiid just collapses too and just falls to the ground and they get called the Raptors get called for a foul it's you know I sometimes think these guys that are big um, and have this level of success like they get away with shit because sometimes they go well they're big what were they supposed to do I don't know fucking play better like don't be a dick like that's you know, it's it's not that hard. I mean, just control your body, like you fucking tree. Like it's not. You know, I don't I don't really necessarily buy that as an excuse. But you know, when you look at the Raptors and, and how they're made, I think mid season a lot of people recognize that they were short a big. Um, you know, Marcus Gasol. You know, when the Raptors went on their championship run and beat the 76ers, they were able to neutralize Embiid because Gasol was a big that that banged in the post but also had some speed and could stay out in front of of Embiid and not, you know, and keep that distance between him and the basket. So I don't I don't know. I don't I mean they've come back from things before and it's coming back to Toronto where I think our fan base can be quite unforgiving as well. Oh, yeah. You know but I, that he's he's their problem. But on the same token, man, how good has Ty, uh, Tyrese Maxey played? And Tobias Harris, like they're they're yeah. fucking fantastic. And I heard today that the last year, or was it when the last year that Butler was in Philadelphia? I think the trade that was on the table, maybe it was last year. The trade that was on the table was. Maybe it wasn't Butler, but anyway, uh, Lowry to Philly, and the reason it didn't go through is that Philly or uh, Toronto wanted Maxi as part of the deal, and <laughs> Philly said no dice. So imagine where the two teams would be, or at least the makeup, if that had been what it was. 
I mean, you know, the Raptors probably, you know, they, I, I mean, what do they, would they still have Fred Van Vliet? I don't know if they had Maxi. Um, but man, he's been if playing so well. Maxi and Van Vliet are your two point guards. <laughs> Jesus the, Christ. They, they've played, you know, it's, I mean, coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I don't know. Can, can they come back? It's possible. Will they? I know the solution. Sign one of us to like a one day contract. <laughs> I'll go out there, just take him out at the knees, like bust his kneecap. <laughs> there we go. There's the path to success. <laughs> but Nick Nurse isn't wrong. Like, Embiid said, Embiid told Nurse to shut, like, to stop bitching about fouls. Uh, and, you know, Nurse isn't wrong to bitch about fouls. However, Embiid's not wrong either. Like, that's the game. Like, the difference is, though, is Nurse comes with a winning pedigree. He's won a title. He's coached a title. And is, like, granted, he had Kawhi, but he did have to go through two very good teams in the Sixers and the Bucks. The Bucks. Right? Uh, I like and, how you don't even mention Golden State. Well, no, like, I'm <laughs> saying, good to, teams. No, I'm saying to get to the final, right? Like, in the East, to get to that final, they had to go through those two teams, yeah. which were ruthless series. And, I mean,. I, we can say, yeah, like it's the game, like shit happens. But let's be honest: if Clay and Durant play, the Raptors probably lose that series. Right. I, but, I think there's a zero percent chance the Raptors win the NBA title if Clay and uh, yeah, there's no way. If Nick Nurse has that winning pedigree, it is also up to him for to find a way. Find a no, way. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, because you, you control the controllables, right? Like you won't be able to make those calls in your favor. You can try your best, like you said, to influence it. But they have to, they have to find a way to utilize their speed. You know, they're not looking at the stats. They're not creating the turnovers that they were throughout the season, and they're not scoring off the rush they were off the season. And I, I think part of that could be Gary Trent not feeling his best. I don't know if that's all Scotty Barnes being out of the lineup, but I mean, and yeah, maybe we did expect. Maybe we got our hopes up a little bit. Maybe we were enchanted with with the season. Um, but they're a good team. Do you, think, and, do you think nurses lobbying and the home crowd coming back to Toronto and them like being recently in a championship, they know how to be a good oh, home yeah. crowd. Jurassic I think do you he's think pointing the finger the at Embiid. He's pointing the finger at Embiid for the crowd for sure. But like, he do knows. you think that influences the refs for sure? Maybe a couple more calls go the Raptors way. Maybe the Sixers don't get a couple more and then it balances out a little bit. I don't know. We'll see, man. I, I, I don't think. I still don't think the Raptors are getting swept. I, I think when they come back to Toronto, this could turn around in an instant. Toronto. I mean, has if Embiid stops playing, he stopped playing in that series in Philadelphia. He disappeared. Once he got dummied, right? Yeah. Like I think I I I think I think Dustin is right. Like, I mean. I can see them getting swept. Do I think it happens? No. So what games they win, I, Dustin? Which game? Like, if if you're if you're being uh, a sports book, uh, the uh, sports yeah. book pick of the week. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's your what's your out of the rest of the remaining games? What are your Raptors locks in your mind, and why? I don't know if they're locks, but if I would say the highest percentage chance for them to win a game will be game three. Yeah. If they end up if they end up losing game three and they're down three nothing. Uh, I don't like their odds in game four. Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. So that's why especially, I'm saying I'm projecting, <laughs> I'm projecting a victory in game three. If you're giving Raptors a, a victory, that's the one they need. 
I think they need that one the most. And what do you think they need to do to, to win game three? Because <laughs> I know you're, you're a big Trent basketball back. fan. I, <laughs> I mean, the yeah, guy was... No, nobody thought that guy... Like, I was a Gary Trent fan, but I didn't know this guy had like multiple 35-plus point games in him in the season. And they were talking about him for Porzingis at the deadline. And they were like, there's no dice on moving Gary Trent. And I, I, I got to... I'm with that. I mean, the guy is all world defensive player like he's he's a hell of a defensive player he's got so scotty barnes that people don't realize how good barnes is defensively and he's defending every position too yes yeah like i think i think i think if barnes is playing i think he's able to stop maxi harden for what he's done game one harden was great game two eh. but like i think he minimizes a lot of what the pieces around Embiid do. Yeah, I mean, it, Harden Harden didn't play. I mean, because Maxi and, and Harris are playing. Like, not everyone can get the ball, right? That's the thing. Not everyone's going to get a look. Not everyone's going to get the ball. Maxi's played so good. You know, it's weird because if if you neutralize Harden, like these guys are playing so good that it's just like, what is the answer? And I think the problem is that was almost like Toronto throughout the season, right? The Raptors, if you stopped Van Vliet. Trent was dropping 40. If you stop Trent and Van Vliet, Siakam was dropping 35. If you stop the three of them, Barnes was dropping 25 and, and 12. Like he was putting up stats. And if those guys, that, you know, if Ananobi was healthy, he's dropping 20. Like the Raptors had so many looks of, like it was quality and quantity. You know, it wasn't one or two guys scoring 40 points a night. It, it seemed like, you know, every night was next guy up for who was going to, take the reins and in the last two games it just hasn't felt like like they've played well but i don't know if they were discouraged by losing scotty and and trent not being at his best um i don't know if they're discouraged dude i gotta think if i was in those games and i'm playing my heart out and you saw at the beginning of last game the raptors were playing gangster man they were fouling Embiid real hard in the beginning and playing him hard and you know they were all they were up 11 to 2 in the beginning of the game and they were playing tough shit basketball, but the calls just didn't get there, didn't go their way. And I think at some point you're like, it it feels like you just, you don't have an out. Like, what do you, you know, I I guess again, if, if, if you're going to foul and bead, make it count. Like if you know, you're going to get called on something, just make it a good one. At this point, like hip check or like, I'm not like whatever. Punch him in the nuts. Fuck it. (laughs) <laughs> right like well, yeah, you're, too. Yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not going to get the calls coming your way anyway right like yeah. if you look at the foul discrepancy it's actually pretty egregious for the last game and you can't tell me that one team just plays a dumber shade of basketball like these are like these are yeah. professional players and professional teams i don't i don't know i don't it's almost, it's almost as bad as mlb umpiring but <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think something that may be interesting to keep your eye on is, um, I forgot his first name now. That's going to bother me. Uh, Matisse Thibel is unvaccinated, yeah, or at least is not, or at least is not fully vaccinated. Uh, <laughs> however, you want to classify his status. So he is unable to play in Game Three and Game Four. Will that matter? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, fortunately for the Seventy Sixers, it looks like the majority of their roster is. Uh, fully vaccinated so they will be able to play in game three and four but if that does come up 
as a significant issue for the 76ers. It's going to all of a sudden sound a lot like the conversation that's going on in Major League Baseball right now. And it's interesting that we haven't heard this conversation a lot in the NBA or in the NHL, but we've heard it a lot in Major League Baseball. I think it's because a lot of people don't realize that Toronto is a Canadian city. And when you mean a lot of Americans don't realize <laughs> right. city. when they, they all of a sudden realize that half the New York Yankees can't travel to Toronto to play a game, they're all up in arms about now. Obviously I'm being facetious when I say, um, half the Yankees, there, there are players on a lot of teams Yankees. in the American league East. And there are some key players that will not be able to travel to Toronto and, there was an interesting quote from Charlie Montoyo that came out, I think it was today or last night. Yeah. And I got this from Rob Longley on Twitter, who is a beat reporter for the Toronto, Toronto Sun. Yeah, Toronto Sun. And I don't know if there's an exclusive interview with Rob or he would just happen to be in the media scrum, but I, this is where I, I saw the, the tweet. So Rob gets credit for it. Uh, Charlie Montoyo said, rules are rules. And that's why we couldn't play in Toronto for two years. And from experience, no one gives a shit. No one cared about us when we were in Dunedin. So it's an interesting stance because I think he's absolutely right. Where teams and players are vocally, and probably more so fans than anyone else, but I'm sure that conversation is happening with the players and with the team to the league, that they feel they are at a disadvantage when they have to play an away game in another country because they have to be fully vaccinated. Whereas if they're playing an away game in another American city, they wouldn't have to worry about this and they would have their full lineup with them. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> sometimes I, I feel like this conversation is just mind numbing. It's, it's almost like you can't get through to some people who aren't intelligent enough. Dude. But the way I look at it, look at, okay, how about this? What Dude, if there are a professional sports writers that don't get that this? don't understand they don't get that the border rules are the same both ways. <laughs> right. How fucking stupid are you? Like, dude, that's they're the, professional the sports. We're sitting here on a bootleg fucking podcast Pod- that we just started. Three, three dudes from Toronto who, like, fucking play with their dicks and watch sports. And we get it. And, like, these guys. These guys are, are paid. These they're guys, journalists. Like, research is in their job. I feel like I do more research for this show as a non-professional journalist doing a podcast oh. than a lot of these guys who are getting paid to be one. Uh, yeah, as you guys alluded to, the Jays are under the same restriction if they are traveling to all of their away games. So 81 <laughs> games, they have to be fully vaccinated to enter the United States. It's not nine games they're worried about in Toronto. And if you're a starting pitcher, these nine games that you may not be the starter for, we're talking about <laughs> I didn't, half I didn't your even season. do that math. That's, yeah, like that's the, yeah. That gets me down the road of suspending pitchers for 10 games. It's like two starts. Like It's two starts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fuck off. Anyway, suspend a pitcher. Yeah. So what I, what I guess the comparison I, I like to make is what if someone on any team in Major League Baseball were to say, um, it's my choice, and it's my body, and I refuse to wear a batting helmet. (laughs) (laughs) The image itself is fucking fantastic. Honestly, if I'm a pitcher, I'm aiming for his head to be like, you're an idiot, and the first one's flying right by your face. But, well, first of all, the league obviously wouldn't allow you to do that. The league would say no. Yeah. 
for insurance oh, yeah. purposes well, for and just general pl- health for player safety <laughs> yeah well let's be your- let's be honest for all these leagues it's the dollar comes first so for them it's the money they would have to pay out and two it's like yeah but we care about well not just that but like the fucking optics like yeah no yeah. we're just gonna fucking let this guy walk to the plate no bucket no it's it's not a new thing for the no. league to mandate safety uh, we've seen it in the NHL recently with, when they grandfathered in visors and every player yeah. has to wear it. It's it's no different. It, it's a health and safety measure. Now, whether you believe in that health or safety, I, I would venture to say that you are far less likely to get hit in the head with a fastball than you are to contract COVID. That's interesting. I, I You know what? Now that you bring it up that way, it's not something you like think about in that degree. Like You're far more likely to get injured or to get sick from COVID than you are to get injured by but, pitch in right, general anywhere here's the thing those guys believe that the helmet <laughs> protects them right like that's the problem they're like they don't something in them all of the sudden in 2022 medicine and science don't don't jive with them anymore and it and it's and it's fine and I'm not saying you know it is like you said off the top it is your body your choice whatever like whatever the fuck you want to do sure but with yeah, that comes that as well. That's, sorry, that's a good point. Um, I, I guess that's while we're on the topic, I don't give a flying fuck what you guys do with your body. Like I don't, I don't like whatever. I mean, I took it because I, I that's my choice, and you can do yeah. whatever the hell you want, but you have yeah. to live with your choices. Right, but, yeah, choices but that's it. But exactly, you have to live with your choices, right? So with living with your choices, if the company of Major League Baseball. And it's not the, even Major League Baseball, though. It's the it's the governments of the yes, nation, right? But to. okay, yeah. But the, sure, like whatever the fuck. It doesn't even matter who it is. It could be, it could be fucking Don Johnson. It doesn't matter if they're the ones in in charge and they say that this is it. They're not forcing you to get a vaccination. They're just telling you you can't do A, B, and C because you don't have one. They're not. The saying, MLB did actually care enough, though. They would mandate it to say to play in the league you have to be vaccinated and they haven't so but like i i get where you're coming from so yeah. like but it, it then if the choice is sit out or get it and if you don't want to get it then you got to sit out and that's that's it like i don't i, I don't I, know why it's such it's so complicated especially for these journalists to understand oh the jays okay yeah they're all vaccinated that's why Okay. I'm also a very firm believer, though, like, and I think this comes to, like, a bigger philosophical issue that society faces today. It's, like, outside of, obviously, the pandemic and poverty and shit like that. I think the biggest issue that society today faces is entitlement. I think this is what it comes to. And I think for them, what it comes to is that, like, they're saying that it doesn't matter what my choice is. I should still be allowed to do whatever the hell I want. Right? And I think that's the problem, is that they think that, you know, like, with... You know, the argument where it's like, well, it's free speech and it's this or it's that. But they think that gives them free of consequence and it doesn't. Whether that consequence is you can't go to a store. Like the whole no shirt, no shoes, no service. Like that has been widely accepted for however long we've been alive. Like remember uh, Looney Lizard and fucking Aurora? And there's that no shirt, no shoes, no service sign that we used to see. Looney Lizard. Yeah, that's a throwback. But like. (laughs) Like, honestly, like, that's just shit. We'd be like, oh, shit, okay. And, like, you just accept it. And then now for something like this that actually affects your health, not something so, like, materialistic, people are like, no, 
that's not allowed. Go fuck yourself. And going back to the Blue Jays about this whole scenario where, like you said, all the Blue Jays are vaccinated because you wouldn't play half the season unless you were. And I don't know. I, I don't know if that's necessarily even a Blue Jays mandate. I think it just might make sense for the player as well. It's like, well, if you're not playing yeah. in 81 games, you're only going to get half your salary. I like so to make a bonus. You're yeah. going yeah. to need to be vaccinated to play here. And now looking at it, and the Oakland A's came to town this past weekend. And now playing on the Oakland A's is Kirby Sneed, who was with the Blue Jays organization last mm-hmm. year. He was a part of the Matt Chapman trade. And as Oakland came up to Toronto, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Sneed was put on their COVID whatever designation list of guys who are not playing in the series because they're not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I wonder if <laughs> this Matt Chapman trade was done and let, they're like, okay, great. We'll take, we'll take Hoagland, we'll take Smith, and we'll take uh, what Zach Logue or whatever his name is. We'll take those three guys, great. And the Blue Jays are like, wait, hold on. <laughs> we can <laughs> give you. Too. We can give you this <laughs> guy as well. Can you please yeah. take yeah. this guy too? Because he's, he's useless to us at this point. Yeah. I no, I I think that's probably a part of it. They saw the writing on the wall to some degree, and I think it's just it was an easy solution. Like, hey, we can get Gold Glove third baseman and unload this issue, and I think it killed two birds with one stone. But like, I also think kind of coming back to how this started with like Montoyo's quote, "Yo, good to see like little happy Charlie go lucky show some huevos," you know if you know what I mean. Like yeah, this guy who we all shit on. Sack. Yeah, we shit on him for how long? For like, like Pete Walker's out there getting tossed out of games for <laughs> arguing with ums. And we're like, oh, we wish we, you know, Charlie Montoya did that. I was reading back some of my tweets and I remember the game that Pete Walker got tossed and it said, Pete Walker, my manager, right? Like, because he went out there and did that. And now Montoya is finally, one, getting kicked out, arguing the strike zone, which has been atrocious in the early season in the MLB. And now with this statement, like, pretty much telling people, shut up. Like, stop complaining. Like, this bullshit. Like, I love it. So, But yeah, I think no that's one... also a product of having a really good team now, too. And so feeling du- more confident. I want to pose this question to Dustin, because I know Dustin, is pro- out of the three of us, is probably the biggest baseball fan. Oh, he knows way more about baseball than you and me so, combined. So... <laughs> Montoyo, do you think this is a calculated measure of he knows what his team has this year, and had he acted this way in years previous, it eventually becomes water off a duck's back, right? Like if if you if you're just that guy, then nobody like it loses its effect because you're just that guy, right? Like oh look, there goes friggin' Tony Larusa again, you know what I mean? Or there goes Buck Showalter, like it's just. There they go, do their thing, right? And there's more of an Ozzie impact. Gian. Sorry? Aussie Gian. <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, is it, do you think that plays a part in it? I don't know. I think it's just the personality of Charlie Montoyo. I think he's naturally just a more even-keeled, calm individual. And I think it takes a lot for him to get upset. And this might just be a boiling point for him, where the Blue Jays have gone through some shit. And if you look at the past couple seasons, and you and the quote says it perfectly, no one gave a shit about us when we were in Buffalo. You didn't say this directly, but I'm I'm like paraphrasing. Paraphrasing. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm paraphrasing <laughs> what he said in a kind of uh, inferring what he meant. Where no one cared about the Blue Jays when they were in Buffalo. No one cared about the Blue Jays when they were in Dunedin. All the nonsense that the Blue Jays had to go through because of 
Canadian border restrictions. There wasn't a single team in Shedding Major League Baseball that gave a shit about them. Yeah, because it, it didn't concern them, and it was it was only a problem. The only time it, the other teams cared is when they showed up at Buffalo and they had like the worst <laughs> catering. away ball. Away, catering uh, was not no, what it should be. Yeah, the away clubhouse was nowhere near what Major League standards are. It's like, well, yeah, you're playing in a AAA ball club that set up a tent for you guys. Yeah. And, and oh man, remember the it's funny looking back at the original year of the pandemic uh, in the 2020 season and how they had to and before we knew anything about how COVID's transmitted and whatever and the way things were done where they set up like batting cages in the concourse at Buffalo because <laughs> there's no people really? in the stands. So they had they had set up all these team things that they needed all these training facilities they didn't have the space for it and they're like well we're not gonna have fans in the building so let's just move this hot dog stand over and here's our new uh pitching area and here's our so new batting cages and why yeah, i didn't know that why did they yeah, not... there's some really cool online about that i'll see if i can pop that in discord for you guys later so why didn't the mlb set up umpire training facilities in these parking <laughs> lots like yeah, that would be ideal, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, not to to divert here too much, but I guess there's also been a lot of talk about the robo-umpire and, and the human element, and I know, you know, I'm adding something. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it on the fly. I'm adding something to the agenda. The, the whole conversation, I guess, it really stemmed from the Jays game the other day where I forget what the umpire's name was, but a fan got kicked out or got his sign taken away and it yeah, was i think that's the, yeah that's a good I'll point i don't think they got kicked he out i think his sign taken away his sign got kicked out and uh yes it was basically from the the ump scorecard website of the ump that uh, was the home plate umpire the, the previous game and he had something like a 68 percent correct rate or like accuracy rate for balls and strikes how is that even like, Paul, how is that how do you not get immediately called to the principal's office and That's fantastically bad. What someone pulled up, what someone commented the other day, and I don't remember exactly who said this. I want to say it was Steve Argentaro, uh, who is a senior Slam producer at TSN, a uh, good friend of ours. I think Steve said, I think it was Steve that asked the question where he said, okay, obviously this is a horrible performance by this umpire. Don't remember his name, doesn't matter. Um, we all know the game that we're talking about. There was renovations this year at the Rogers Center, and we've all seen the new video board and whatever. If you look at the view from behind home plate at the batter's eye, it feels smaller. Like, it feels like that blacked-out area in center field just seems smaller because there's so much big, shiny, bright LED lights everywhere around it. I wonder if this is a thing that we're going to see going forward, and we'll see in the so next couple of You stands. think their perspective has changed because the shape of the back end of the stadium has changed? So like yes. you're you're. I think it's possible. I mean, it's. I mean, like a sixty-eight percent rate possible. Like maybe if like umpires are supposed to be like eighty, eighty-five percent, you well, see a dip to seventy-five. Yeah, but to sixty-eight, they're supposed to be ninety-five percent accurate. There you go. To, so like I I could I could see that as like a plausible reason if it's like a five six maybe ten percent dip, but buddy, that's like a thirty percent dip. Dude. This guy's in summer school for umping for sure. Like that is ninety five percent and sixty eight percent. This dude's take this dude's taking drama no. class 
For like, like when the umpires union uh, freaks out about robot umps, they can blame him because yeah. this is what's going to be cited. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there's not as much a. It doesn't feel like the. And again, I'm not in those rooms, and I'm not an umpire, and I'm not part of the union or whatever. But do you get the sense there's just no lack of urgency to be better? Like, do they think they're going to fight and win the robot ump argument, or are they thinking like, "Hey, man, well, they're still going to need somebody to call safe at home plate." I'm going to get to do less work and let this fucking computer do it. And I'm still going to be here with a job, right? Like, like at, how's it going in the minors? Cause I know they're testing it out this year. And like, obviously Dustin would know way more about that. And my familiarity with it is just, they're testing it in the minors this year. Like, is there any feedback on how the robot ump has gone so far? I haven't heard definitive feedback yet, but I'm curious to see what but it silence to me is probably a good thing. Right. If it was a joke and if it was atrocious, people would be like, oh, look, it's not fucking working, dum-dums. And here's the thing. I love the human element of sports. I really do. I think it I, I, well, adds to the chaos, which is what makes sports so fantastic. Yeah. Like there's heartbreak, right? That's, that's part of it. There's things that should have gone your way. I mean, I've been living with Carrie Frazier for how long, you know? So it's i don't i don't want it to leave but they're not making me believe in them and that's the problem and we can say that it's the shape of the rogers center all we want but who's the douchebag that called horrendously for the jays every single time he was was it or, or just the or dude joe west in, joe west, joe west yeah. or, and and hal hernandez or whatever yeah that dude's absolute garbage also but like it goes beyond just baseball too like every sport is having a really bad officiating issue we talked about it with the nba we were talking about it with the mlb like the nhl has had a severe officiating issue for a couple years where it's like there's you know guy like refs are mic'd up where they caught on mic to say this is a makeup call like we got to balance out this the the sheet like the refs are or just so... those videos those videos we saw the other week of of the ref telling pareko to move the puck he was telling like Col- Colton Preco was behind the net, Dustin, and he's got the puck and he's waiting for his setup and he doesn't he doesn't have to move. In hockey, you can stand there for 60 minutes if you wanted to. He doesn't have to fucking move. The ref's screaming at Preco to move the puck. And Preco audibly goes, "I can do whatever the fuck I want." Right? And he can. And the ref goes, "Oh, you think so?" And it's just like the problem is it's like where in the blue hell does a fucking ref think he can like they complain about saying we don't want to impact the game, so that's why sometimes calls are missed because we, you know, we don't want to make that call, and then it influenced the game. But you're doing that by not making a proper call. And then in this instance, where Pareko is being told to move the puck, like stay the fuck out of it. Or the video where the ref kicked the puck to the Boston player. Yeah, did you see like, that one? Yeah, I saw that. That was pretty like, bad. What the shit? Like it's like you're you're defeating your own argument about not wanting to impact the game by directly influencing the game. Like that one, I could believe was more reactionary. Yeah, because um, you know if it comes to you, you're just like, oh shit, and like you're not thinking. Yeah. But like telling a player to move the puck, like telling him to make a play, like I'm sorry, if I'm Pareko, I'm telling you to go fuck yourself because I'm not gonna be putting that puck in a position to like because you're telling me to and potentially impact like an uh, offensive chance the other way because you're telling me to rush, especially when St. Louis at, in that game is also pushing for a playoff spot. And it's different like, than when are, the puck is stuck in the corner and he's telling guys to move it or dig it out because and they're digging and yeah, he's going to blow it down. No, 
right? It's two line changes. Pareko's waiting for the other team's line change. His team's probably just finishing a line change. He's waiting for guys to set up in their system. Like maybe he's like, buying time without a timeout. Who the who knows? Yeah, but like in no way in hell should a ref be telling a player to move the puck unless he actively has it, sits down and just sits there and waits. Well, even then, nothing against the rules. But sorry, yeah, to divert uh, again. So I don't know. I want to put it to a vote. Robo umps, yay or nay? Yeah. Um. Okay. So, anytime I'm playing MLB the Show, there's an option in the settings to have balls and strikes be called perfectly, or I don't know what the word they use in the settings. Whether it's like authentic or whatever, basically it means like <laughs> the umpire will miss some calls here and there. Yeah. And I kind of, and I always go with that option because I kind of like the chaos of it. I like, and obviously this is within that five percent range. If it was sixty-eight percent, like, well, this is ridiculous. Then I probably would want the robot umps. But I, I like the variability of it, where there's a call that's very close, and it looks like a strike to me. And on the little box, it's a strike, but they called it a ball, and I'm like, oh, thank God, and I live to fight another day at that at bat. So it goes both ways. You do benefit from it from these missed calls, but in the situation with the Blue Jays specifically, and if they are going to consistently get these horrible calls, I think you have to start looking for alternative measures when it comes to umpires, because it, it can't continue at well, the rate it's going. What was the game? Was it the NLDS last year? Giants-Dodgers, where there's that atrocious check swing yeah, call? Yeah, that was the Giants-Dodgers, yes. Oh my god, like that in of itself, like you could you think about it when it's um you know you think about it when it's something like you know a you know ball and a strike in the second week of the season but this is like the nlds man but how like, many nlds has how have has those errors been made throughout time right 100 and we but only that's not an excuse. But, right but, well i mean but we only talk about them because we get that feedback in real time Right, twenty years ago, there's no Twitter with the clip being shared around everybody going, "Oh my God, did you see how far?" Like blah blah blah. Right? It's the evolution of technology available to you, right? So why not make the game better or at least cleaner if you have the opportunity to? Well, because right? like years it's, ago, because it's debatable whether it does. Because I mean, is is it going to slow the game of baseball down even more than it is right now? Like they're talking about a pitch speed clock. it up also. Because then you're not getting, you're not getting managers coming out arguing for five, ten minutes. You're not getting batters arguing. You're also cutting back on that time. And the argument to say like, well, what teams will like it, whatever, it balances out because teams will be on both ends of, uh, you know, like if what Dustin says, umpires supposed to be ninety five percent. They're supposed to be ninety five percent. I guarantee you, by the end of the year, collectively, they're probably at like eighty, eighty five, right? And so. You know, to say if you're maintaining that 95% quota across the board consistently, you know, then I think then, yeah, like the game is going to be served better. Yeah, I think I think they I think the umps just I mean, there there's is it me or does every ump have to be 80 to fucking be an ump too? like what is (laughs) what is it with the geriatric society of America? employing the umps like walmart greeters like it should just it's be like being, it's like being president you have to be at least like 55 or some shit yeah or something like maybe there's just they gotta be better trained maybe there's they have to 
take different maybe they got to negotiate better optometry and part of their benefits package in the umpires union i don't know you know i don't know but it's i i don't want to give up on the human yet but i i think i'm i'm i think i'm like kind of in the same boat that dustin's in if it keeps going at this rate then it's almost like reluctantly i would vote yes because you're not giving me a choice because it's going to be so bad. I like the idea of, of not of players maybe getting used to a, an umpire's strike zone that's slightly different and then hitting a ball that they probably shouldn't have because they're compensating. Like there's there's another element to the game that way that I I would enjoy watching. But it but it's got to it can't be egregious like what happened to the Jays. Like it was really bad. And that's the problem. Like 68%. And we're not talking about oh, he he could have clipped the corner maybe. I could see there some were, of these were, were bad. Yeah, some of them were off off the batter's box, let alone off the plate. So I just yeah. I, I want to see the day and I know in the NHL like the media is supposed to request this and they're supposed to do it, but they just never do it. But like at what point do does like leagues say not necessarily any other league, but like specifically MLB to say, fine, you guys don't want robot umps, then you're doing a post game in front of all the media and you're explaining yourself pay for your pick sins. one yeah pick one guy to go out there like whoever was worst on the card or whoever was calling the game behind the plate and he gets his ass up there and he has to explain himself and they say either that or we get robot umps and we don't have to do that what but that brings up another point what kind of accountability do you believe there is for for these guys so is it bonus? in the nhl well, in the NHL, I, I can't say for the MLB, which I'm sure Dustin probably knows. He's probably just itching to say this one. So, like, for the NHL, it's you don't work playoff games. So, like, you don't, which you get paid more. And two, like, you don't work cup finals. So the stages go, like, you don't work Stanley Cup playoffs, and then you don't work cup final. So mm-hmm. they take the best officials for the year. They work the various playoff games and then i think how you do in the playoffs and like your kind of scorecard as a ref in the playoffs dictate who's going to do the cup final like do you think they have dustin do you think they have performance reviews like like we would like they have to right i'm sure they do have a performance review and i'm sure there is bonuses that are attached to those performance reviews and i believe it is the same system where there's going to be a vote of who the best umpires are, like with best crews, and that's who gets to do the World Series. But I think that's really all it is. But I guess it depends on whether they even care if they're doing the World <laughs> Series or not, or if they they don't they're okay with the yeah. extra vacation that went in October. Right. That's what I mean. Like, so, what's what's the incentive for them to do well? Like, have you? When was the last time you? You know, like if I don't do well at my job, I get called into the office and they say, listen, you got to do better. And if I still don't do better, they're like, listen, we got to let you go. When was the last time you saw, you know, like like a WWE style press release that says the MLB has come to terms with the release of Joe West? We wish him well in all his future endeavors because he can't fucking call. I don't think we've ever seen that. Right. And I think that that's a problem. There's no accountability for these guys. It's just like well, that that we know of, but like it doesn't seem like it because you right. see them back again in these big games, right? So. Doing the same thing. Yeah, that's the problem. If we if we as fans can go, oh fuck, here comes Joe West. That's a here problem. Here we go again. The, the San Andreas meme. Yeah. Oh shit! Here we go again. <laughs> that that means there's something there, right? Like that's yeah. a problem. So hundred yeah. percent. 
I think what was interesting when you guys were talking about this whole umpire thing is what if this happens in the playoffs? And we've seen it happen in the playoffs. And obviously it's a bigger deal when something like that happens in the postseason and you know things mean more in the postseason. And ultimately that's what this is all about and getting your team to the postseason. And the Dodgers were in an interesting situation this week. And that was kind of the argument that a lot of people are saying where it's not about this game in the regular season. It's about how the Dodgers are going to play in the postseason. And what if this was a postseason game? How would you react? The situation we're talking about, of course, is Clayton Kershaw. And Clayton Kershaw was in the... He was through seven innings and had pitched 80 pitches and had no hits, no walks, no runs. He was pitching a perfect game through seven innings. And Dave Roberts, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, came in and got the hook. And everyone (laughs) ended up wondering what just happened. I think there was an interesting stat that was floating around. Like the last time that had happened, was like in 2016 or something, and it was Rich Hill. That was Dave Roberts. Another Dodger. (laughs) It was Dave Roberts again, who had pulled him out of the game, which is fascinating to say the least. Now, there was a lot of post-game interviews that happened around this issue, obviously, and because everyone is wondering what on earth is going on, how can you possibly do something like this? Uh, I'm trying to find some of these quotes, but basically the general consensus was that there was a pitch count and we are early in the season and the Dodgers are in belief. I mean, if you look at the Major League Baseball power rankings right now, they are ranked number one. They are a World Series contender. They expect to be in the World Series come October. A's Dodgers. And, I mean, ideally, Jay's. I thought you said A's Dodgers there for a second. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, no. sure, I guess. <laughs> I guess Oakland. Uh, I mean, according to the power rankings, that is what they're projecting, Blue Jays and Dodgers in the World Series. It's... I I understand what they're saying is that we need Kershaw 100% healthy in order to make the the playoffs. But, I mean, come on, guys. It's it's April. Even if Kershaw were to hurt himself, it's April. (laughs) This is a long season. And who's to say that after 80 pitches... Oh man, that eighty-first pitch! His arm's gonna fall yeah. off. We're gonna have to, we have to get him out of there because we're gonna have to schedule an MRI tomorrow if he throws eighty-two pitches. Like that's just yeah, he could have six ground balls. Way too much. We're asking way too much of this professional athlete who throws a ball for a living to ask him to throw a ball again. Like that's just like too much. I, I got real heated with this one. I think you and me were talking about it in Discord, Dusted, where I was I was pretty tilted because. There's, like, obviously, you know, baseball on my list of favorite sports is probably third, maybe fourth in the big four in North America. And, like, perfect game is the hardest thing to do in sports. Like, I'll say that right now. Like, goalies get, like, fucking look at Jacob Markstrom in Calgary. He's got, like, like 12 shutouts already this year. That's not, like, it's a, a fantastic stat. A shutout's hard to do in the NHL goalies do it it seems like at least once or twice a week right um basketball it seems like guys are getting triple doubles like nobody's business hat tricks in the nhl are happening all the time no hitters in baseball there's a few that happen every year this is a perfect fucking game 
There's 20, like, 23 or 24 in 23 have happened, I yeah, think. 23 in the past 150-something years. Yes. So, like, this is the other thing. is like, I know Kershaw's being the good team guy after, and I'm also pissed with Kershaw. Like, they won the World Series. He's a multiple Cy Young winner, arguably the greatest Dodger, and he doesn't put up a stink to get a perfect game. Like, I'm pissed at both sides. One, because, like, how dare you yank... <laughs> like I said, the greatest pitcher in Dodger history. Yeah, better than fucking all the other guys that have been there in history. Like Sonny <laughs> Koufax. Fuck yeah, it. Let's try and name somebody. He came, drew Sonny, a blank. Sonny Koufax. Whatever. Sonny, right? Sonny but, Koufax. That's no, just some big daddy. He's a real person. Is it Sandy Koufax? That's Adam Sandler. <laughs> big daddy. I watched, I watched Big Daddy last weekend. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is... This is something you don't take away from this guy. He's done everything for you. Like, you give it to him. And like I know they're saying, like, pitchers haven't had as much time this year because the shortened spring training, their arms aren't as warm as they're usually ready to be, you know? And I, I get that. This is a perfect fucking game. Like, this is an absolute... And, like, not just that for Kershaw, for the Dodgers, for the sport, for the fucking fans, man. Like, that's that moment where you open Twitter... And we even looked at it in our Discord. How, like, all the guys were like, guys, Dodgers are doing something special right now. And then you turn it on. It's like, Kershaw's joking in the dugout. He's got the jacket. You're like, and they're like, he looks like he's done. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't know. I, it just, it got me. Did you, did you say Sandy Koufax just because of Big Daddy? Was there no other reason why you pulled no, that name out? No, it's legit Big Daddy. Well, he said Sonny Koufax, but... Sonny Koufax. I, I know that. But yeah, I mean, I'm at Sandy. I mean, did you know that Sandy Koufax threw a perfect game? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I did not. But, that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, throws a dart at the board, hits a bullseye once in a while. Hey, sometimes uh, sometimes the light shines on a dog's ass every now and then, right? Yeah, so. September, September 9th, 1965, Sandy Koufax threw a 113-pitch perfect game. I was just looking at the, the list of all the guys who threw in a perfect game. A lot of Blue Jays on the list. None of them did it when they were a Blue Jay, but like there's you know, David Wells. And the well, didn't Burley, do, didn't Burley do one Burley for the has one, yeah. Mark, Mark Burley did one as well. But the last one was King Felix, and it was 10 years ago. Yeah, for the Mariners, right? Yeah, um, it was ten years. Like that's insane. The like, it's, and there's, but there's twenty three th- in one hundred and fifty years. There's actually three that year, which is mind mind blowing. Which means before something that was, there were only twenty. What was going on in twenty twelve? <laughs> Think about that though. Which means before that there were only twenty. So, just about fifteen percent of the perfect games happened in that year, which is fucking crazy. But there there's a lot of layers to this that I think. You know, some people like they talk about the stuff like, oh, it was a perfect game and blah, blah, blah. Clayton Kershaw has a World Series. Clayton Kershaw has a no hitter. Yep. The only thing he's got three Cy Youngs, doesn't he? Yeah. The only thing this man doesn't have is a perfect game. So on that level, I question him being just a good Dodger. Like, I I think it might be one of the best pitchers. Right, and I think, but I think to myself, going back to my room, the hotel room, you may never get there again, again. In in you, you may you, there actually, it's a high probability you will never get there again. 
statistically, he will never do this ever again. He won't no. sniff it. He won't sniff it. It's more likely he'll throw a pitch and hit. they'll hit home runs off every pitch. Than... Well, it's more likely he'll pull Randy Johnson and smoke a pigeon. He, <laughs> I was actually just going to bring that up. Randy Johnson did throw a perfect game, and he also did blow up a pigeon with the baseball. So <laughs> same game? E- you oh. are equally <laughs> as likely to throw a perfect game and explode <laughs> a bird midair. <laughs> That's still one of my favorite sports clips of all time. Like it is, it is the most perfect, like serendipitous incident that could happen. In I mean, sports. if you don't like birds, but well, they're shit hawks. If you're a big bird fan, then probably not. Um, What's a shit hawk? Some sort of <laughs> shitty bird that swoops down and puts poop on you. <laughs> a pigeon. It's uh. How's the trailer park boys reference? I don't know if you can got that. I don't. No. I don't feel. Like, if I was in Kershaw's shoes, I would be like, you can't take me out of this. Like, you can't. Oh, here's another thing, James and Matt. Like, this is something that I don't know if everyone has mentioned before, but there was a pitch count. Do you know what the pitch count was? 80? 90? He got lifted at 80. His pitch count supposedly was 100. Oh, really? So he's, like, so so they had predetermined what his pitch count was. His pitch count was 100. He still had another 20 pitches in there that he could have used. Do you and think it's possible he they, was they, explaining tightness or something to people? Like, is it possible that maybe he wasn't feeling it is, and, and would so. rather than blow? Like, okay, here's a new question. And I actually, it just dawned on me and I had like a aha moment. If you're Clayton Kershaw in that moment and you're not feeling good about the next two innings, is it better to burn out or to fade away? Is it better to... Black. High fidelity. Right? Is it better to walk out the game seven perfect innings or blow it in the eighth? I think it, that, like, if I'm up. not feeling it, I'm walking out at seven perfect innings. No, if I'm not feeling it, I, I, I'm going back in there. And yeah. I think and, Fer, yeah. and Fergie, Fergie Jenkins said it best. He said, not even if I had a broken arm and had to roll the ball over the plate, am I leaving a perfect game in the seventh inning? Like, this is the thing. Like, I, And I think I said this last week on episode zero. Athletes are not wired properly. Like, to make it to where professional athletes do in their sport, there's something not right in their head to be able to be so committed, so driven, so obsessed, so focused. And to be at the top of that, which Kershaw, you know, arguably is, and I mean, you know, it's hit or miss depending on who you ask. But like to do that, you would think that a guy who would be that competitive would be like, he would stab Dave Roberts before you let him pull you out of that game. I mean, Tony Danza died in Angels in the Outfield pitching, didn't he? Like pitching basically no. killed him. Well, oh, he was. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. I wasn't he it. sick and I, then like he pitched. I just anyway. remember young Joseph Gordon-Levitt and my buddy Stephen pretending to like jump off our couch and fly like Christopher Lloyd the Angel and smacking himself into the floor. <laughs> but yeah, it's like <laughs> I get that they're. I don't know, man. It's just it all seems too funky to me, and I think that you know, we we still don't even know like is the MLB livid? Like you got to think they'd be pissed. They're the fucking Dodgers. And they're on the verge of a perfect game. Like, if I'm they're, yeah, they're they're a crown jewel franchise, right? So I, if I'm sitting in in MLB towers, wherever that is, you know, I'm thinking like like I'm I'm putting a call in to Dodgers ownership and and management saying, what the fuck does this guy think he's doing? They, they got a call. <laughs> you have to figure that Dave Roberts got a call the next day. And the league was like, "You're doing this to us again, Dave." <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I thought I thought we had this the first time. Like, Maybe that's what he we, wants to be known for. If you're going to be known <laughs> for something, be the, he has to be the only manager in the history of the league that has pulled two pitchers 
on the verge. One, of the one. Game. I don't think. I don't think before Rich Hill, a, per, a pitcher was pulled in a perfect game. Can you imagine Alex Manoa pitching a perfect game and Charlie Montoya walking out to that mound, or Pete Walker walking out to that mound, and tell like it's like the seventh, eighth inning, and he's pitching a perfect game. You think Manoa doesn't rip someone's Dude, head off he had, and then he kick had it back six, to the dugout? Six hypothetically. He had six pitches left. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Like he, it wasn't yeah, like well, he, he was six ground balls. Innings, right? Yeah, exactly. And he, he, and they were up six nothing. So there, here's another angle here. Even if he goes in there in the eighth, and Homer. he serves up a meatball and they crush it over the fence, who cares? Paul, you're up by, you're still up by, you're yeah. up, you're still up by five runs. And you know what? He tried. He didn't make it. Now get the hook and get someone else in there. Yeah, it all seems very weird. It all seems, I don't know, I don't know. I just think it's, I just think like it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, there's always those things in sports you dream about, like overtime game-winning goal in the Cup final. You know, th- catching the like a like a no time left re- reception in the NFL in the Super Bowl to win the game. You know, or in the NBA, the buzzer beater shot, like the Kobe fadeaway. You know, turnaround jumper, fadeaway, buzzer beater for the title. Like, a perfect game's on that list. And for a guy like that, I don't know. Yeah. Who, like, who's, like, who, that's it, the only thing. That's like, what makes that, it even exactly. worse. That's the only thing the dude has left to do on his resume. Right? And the fact that he had an opportunity, a sniff. At this that, point like, in his career, never, too. He's not yeah, 20. So all that being said, I, I feel like there's more to this story. I, I think there, there was and we're more. And we're never going to hear it. That we'll never know unless there's like a Clayton Kershaw podcast that comes out five years from now. <laughs> 30 and like, 30. A Joe West, like a Joe West podcast that you can talk about how shitty he was as an ump? <laughs> uh, actually, as I was looking up the last perfect game that King Felix threw, Joe West was one of the umpires. <laughs> like, that's how long Joe West been in Major League Baseball. Well, he, was, he, he didn't. He was Joe, 65 West, the guy then. caught Matt, Matt Garza, like a no-hitter or a perfect game or whatever. Oh, I yeah. remember the clicker, t- the guy who missed the call at first base when it was very clearly. I don't know if it was a no hitter or a perfect game. I think it was a perfect game, actually. It's one it of them, but it was game. Matt Garza and it was Joe West. And he's crying. Remember, he came out crying after. He's like, I'm sorry. I need <laughs> me. <laughs> Man, that guy uh, fucked it up. It was Armando Garaga. Galaraga or whatever? Galaraga, that's it. For, was it Pittsburgh? Or? It, 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 he was no. on Detroit. Detroit. Detroit, that's it. Yeah, and it, yeah it was I remember almost the look on game. his face too, because he smiled when the call was made. Yeah, because he thought he had laughing. it. No, and he's just like, "Are you serious right now?" And like, I think that's what started the whole. Replay so it, it, thing. okay, I don't. It wasn't uh, Joe West. It was Jim Joyce. Who's that? Jim uh, Joyce. I mix those two up. They're both fucking stupid. <laughs> they're like, both, both probably very old. They're both old white dudes who are just trash at their job, but then for some reason we're still there. Well, at least now there would be a replay rule in Major League Baseball, so they would be able to get that call right. Mm-hmm. So take yeah. that for what it's well, worth. Well, I, I think that was the genesis of what the big push for replay was. That was one of the reasons. Like, you cost this guy, like, a no-hitter perfect. I can't remember which one it was. but like It was, clearly, a, per- it was a perfect game. Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say, clearly I can't remember guys' names. Joe West, Jim Joyce, and then fucking Sonny, Sandy Koufax, whatever. But, like... Yeah, like that's, man, I could, and he was young too. He was a young pitcher at the time. Like he was in his like mid late twenties too. I think that's an interesting thing you bring up, like how young the guy was. But we never really heard about him ever again. 
Like, yeah. he may have had, like, a decent career in Major League Baseball. I'm just looking at his stats. Like, he's a, a 478 career ERA guy. Like, he's not like he's... A world beater. It, no. And it's interesting. Just There's that level of randomness in baseball. And that's why we don't see a lot of perfect games. Because you can do everything right. But there'll be a, a bleeding blooper that falls into the infield and for a base hit. And you're like... <laughs> or the other day where we saw... Uh, <laughs> Garrett Cole throw a ridiculous pitch on the inside part of the plate to Vlad, and he hit it. The unhittable pitch. Out for home run. It was a Congrats. pitch that was, it was closer inside the batter's box than it was over the plate, and he still put it into the seats. Well, like, he just like this where, Yeah, he's like, well, what, what can he, what can yeah. you say? Like he's not just, there's he's not much the better I can do than that pitch, right? You know what though? Give it up to Garrett Cole because like I think he came out with a quote after and said he's like, hey, I wouldn't mind if they signed in the NL so I don't have to see them nine, ten times a year. <laughs> like him and Bo, right? Like Garrett Cole, like just to give that and from a pitcher of that kind of pedigree, like who's that good to give that kind of respect to, you know, Vladdy already, like that's saying something. Especially what? the Yankees too, where it's like you could easily be the guy being like, yeah, like, he hit it, but, you know, sometimes hitters get lucky. Like, he could have played it off like that, but no, he went full on, like, no, nah, he crushed it, you know, and I I can respect guys he's that gonna can have honor to see it. He's going to have to talent. see it more this year, that's why, so. Yeah, he's, he's going to be seeing a lot of those guys all year. Oh, yeah. And hopefully you're going to be listening to a lot of us over the next year and beyond. Uh, this is episode one. Of 43.6, the sports podcast you always wanted. Uh, I'm Dustin, and I'm joined by James and Matt. I'm about to wrap up, guys, but I just realized I totally skipped over the issue, the NHL uh, statement, we'll say, about the Kyle Beach situation. I don't know if we want to even talk about that. We can put that in our pocket and talk about it next week. Let's let's talk about it next week, because I think I want to read it. I want to read the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's 20 I pages. on it a bit. And I, I want to, but I do believe it deserves a conversation because I think, you know, I don't think this, this whole situation deserves to be put the be, to be put to bed the way the NHL wants it to be put to bed and the way the NHLPA wants it to be put to bed. I think this is a conversation that needs to continue in sports. Um, and I think I want to give the due diligence of reading it. And I think yeah, we should I talk agree. about it. I agree with you. I think we do deserve. I think the story deserves a bit more time than I'd be giving it right now. With at the end of the show, I, I think it deserves some attention. I'll, if we had to sum it up in a few words, I would say the NHL looks like trash in this whole situation, and the NHLPA looks like trash in this whole situation. But I think it's important if we read the statement that they provided and give For it a sure. fair and objective view. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think like reading clips of articles of, you know, sometimes out of context statements, whether positive or negative, I think can, you know, really kind of steward a situation in, you know, giving it the due diligence it deserves. So like I'm, I'm in full agreement and I like, as you know, Jim said, you know, I think especially with some of the history that hockey has had both in the junior level and the nhl level now and you know which i'm sure goes on in other sports we just don't hear about it like i think it deserves a much more broader nuance than you know the couple minutes at the end of this week's show so i'm yep. fully on board yep i agree with that before we go uh james what are you looking forward to doesn't have to be sports but what are you looking forward to this week 
this week, uh, I'll check out the Game 3 of the Raptors. I want to watch more of Boston and Brooklyn. Um, that seems like a lot of fun. Uh, actually, the NBA playoffs in general are looking great. Uh, watching Anthony Edwards, Ant-Man, and Jaw go at it is cool. So the NBA playoffs are are kind of my appetite right now. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Matt? Well, I'm kind of into, like, I do like a lot of sports. Um, Bianca Andreescu is returning in Stuttgart, so kind of seeing how that goes and seeing how her return comes. Um, So looking forward to that, continuing the NBA playoffs. um, You know, that's kind of going to be the focus. Uh, Beyond sports, though, as you guys know, and I think we all are at this level, we're all big gamers. Um, I mean... Lost Ark is finally releasing the class I've been wanting to play since launch uh, this Thursday. So I'm going to, and I'm off this week on vacation for work, uh, both moving and prepping for, or sorry, prepping for a move. So, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to devote my time to some sports, some packing and some gaming. So what about you? Uh, also, I, we didn't talk about this, but I'm also off this week on vacation from my uh, shoot job as, as it were. Uh, so that said, I am also playing a lot of video games. I've been playing a lot of MLB The Show, trying to get those Face of the Franchise cards. I've about I have about six of them out of the twelve that you can get. Oh, only shit. have about only have about a week or so le- or two weeks left to get all of them. Uh, just got the Alex Manoa card. Ooh boy, ninety overall Alex Manoa. That's a, <laughs> that's a gem right there. Uh, then also Horizon. I've been chipping away at. I really am enjoying Horizon Zero Dawn. Or excuse me, Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, it's just sometimes booting up the PlayStation just feels like a chore when I love my Xbox so much. <laughs> and uh, Wednesday is the new episode Moon Knight. of Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm enjoying Moon Knight as much as I wanted to, but I'm watching it because I, I guess I'm just too heavily invested into MCU property at this point. <laughs> and then on Saturday, I am at Strathroy, Ontario for Hammerlock Wrestling. That will be an interesting one. Reffing um, or? Uh, I will be ring announcer for this oh. event at Hammerlock Wrestling. Right. I was a ref last week for Northumberland Wrestling, which was also in a very interesting situation. Uh, keep your eye on Jack Cartwheel. I think that guy's going to be really, really good. And soon we'll replace you with a robo-womp. And soon <laughs> there will be a robotic host of Arm. this show. But I do, I do have a quick suggestion before we go. Okay. I, I think maybe every now and then maybe we talk some games maybe talk a little bit of entertainment outside of sports maybe like a little five minute segment on what's catching our eye outside of sports weekly you know maybe we get into something like that i don't know just a thought you know we have various interests it could be a good idea and in saying that the whole moon night thing you just brought up i wonder if there's times you like watch a show and you think you like it but you don't actually like it but you're trying to like it so you fool yourself into liking it do you know what i mean oh and, totally and- I, I think that's exactly how i'm feeling about moon knight right now i love oscar isaac and of course i love mcu but i just it's just not vibing with me but i really want it to vibe with me like i've liked parts and instances that's the steve character just the tone of voice just pisses me off but yeah just a thought moving maybe you know in the future we we can do some entertainment talk too yeah well we'll take that one offline and we'll perhaps come up with something you'll have to find out with an episode two which will 
come your way on all your favorite podcast services next week on 43.6, the sports show that you always wanted. I'm Dustin. I'm with James and Matt, and we'll see you next week.